Here's a quote from a poem by the early 20th century Spanish poet Antonio Machado. Traveller, there is no path. The path is made by walking. I love this. Traveller, there is no path. The path is made by walking. Now, I've known this quote, I think, for about 20 years. I, I keep remembering it and recovering it and <laughs> rediscovering it. But actually, it's only in writing this introduction to this podcast episode that I've given it any real thought. I think it's slightly subversive, disconcerting even. Here's now what I see in the depth of those lines. What seems obvious is not as certain as you might think and as it appears. What seems built is not as solid as it appears. And what you long for is not yet built. It's in the walking that the thing is revealed. It's in doing the work, being in service, that the world we want is created. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Mia Birdsong is someone who's making the path by walking. She's the author of How We Show Up, Reclaiming Family, Friendship, and Community. And she's self-described as a pathfinder and a facilitator on the road to social justice. Mia has a definite bias to how she does this work. I really focus on the things that we need to build, the things we need to create, not so much so what we need to dismantle. I feel like there are other people who are focusing on those things. And my lane really is about standing in um, the long arc and thinking about, you know, in five generations, what is the world that I want my descendants to live in? And how do we create that right now? Mia is also a wife and a mother and a city farmer. I have a little city farm. I have, I'm actually sitting in um, my studio looking out at my chickens and my bees right now. Um, I also grow food and medicine on this little plot of land that we're stewarding. This lovely description reminds me actually of the Yeats poem, The Lake Isle of Innisfree. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. But, you know, Mia's not one for living alone. In fact, the opposite. She holds a wide, open, welcoming space for kith and for kin. I'm someone who really um, finds joy and purpose in the family that I make, in the kinship that I, um, that I, you know, kind of create with people who I'm not related to by blood or law. And I just think about how integral um, those people are to who I am and how my life kind of unfolds. And I feel like leaving them out and just men mentioning my role as, you know, mom and wife um, is incomplete. Kinship's a powerful word. So I wanted to ask Mia what she meant by it. There's something of, you know, it, it feels, it feels beyond, you know, friend. Um, mm. It is really the people who I make different kinds of family with. Um, and 
you know, I'm just, I'm smiling right now. <laughs> not really <laughs> talking because I'm thinking about those yeah, people. You're feeling it. I can, I know. Yeah, you're those totally. people, yeah. And I, and I think in particular, just like the, the last, you know, during the pandemic, um, I've, I, I think a lot of us have reconfigured our lives in multiple <laughs> yeah. ways. Right. Yeah. It's and kind of reconfigured, me, not reconfigured, but reconfigured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and so much of that for me has been about who I have, you know, kind of like thrown in with and the mm. ways in which we have, um, supported each other and through this process, not just so that we have survived, but that we've really built, um, a kind of, uh, like safety net for ourselves, a kind of like mm. micro infrastructure. Um, so that, you know, we are, we are both holding each other, you know, emotionally and helping each other process all of the, the, um, chaos and uncertainty. Um, but we're also like celebrating and finding mm. a tremendous amount of joy and laughter, um, in this time. And I think that I'm just, I'm right now, what I'm actually feeling is a lot of gratitude for, um, the people who I've, who I've become closer to during, during this period and with whom I've created, um, these mm. relationships, you know, I've made, I've made a couple of very good friends with people who I have never met in person. <laughs> right. Um, and I find that extraordinary for lots of reasons. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I keep, I, I have this, uh, one friend, um, cat who lives in, uh, Seattle and I, you know, we talk about how we're going to, you know, meet in person someday. <laughs> and I realized like, you know, I don't know how tall she is. I don't know. Like she could have, you know, tentacles instead of legs for all I know. Like <laughs> right. I've only seen her from like, you know, right. the shoulders up. Um, and to kind of, you know, there's this, there's this way in which I feel like so much of the way that we relate to each other is in our physicality and it's kind of mm. like understanding each other's, um, bodies mm -hmm. and to have made these relationships, um, without having that is just such a, is just interesting. And I'm, and I'm curious uh, to see what unexpected. will happen when, when we actually get to be in person with each other. Mia, was there a moment you remember where you felt first felt kinship? Like when did that seed get planted? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I think that, um, I certainly like, and I'll, and I'm going to make a distinction between like kinship and like, family and home. Right. Mm -hmm. As I feel like I very much grew up feeling a, a sense of family and home. And I think that the thing, the first thing that comes to mind, honestly, is, um, so I was a girl scout when I was in elementary school. Um, I don't know if you have girl scouts where you have, we call them guides in Australia, from, but yeah. I was a boy scout. So, yes. uh, similar. And I remember, um, and we would go on these camping trips. Um, and I remember being in, the forest, like kneeling down on the ground and like looking at this piece of moss. Um, and there are these, there are these trees, you know, big trees above me. And I'm just like looking at the ground and this piece of moss. And, and I think I was, I was kind of, you know, thinking about, there was some story going through my head, some kind of like fanciful story going through my head about like panthers or fairies or something or smurfs like i don't you know something like that it's quite um, the choice panthers fairies or smurfs you've, you've got the whole range there all of them, you know um i was a very imaginative child <laughs> i see that and and i remember just feeling um this like embodied sense of connection to the moss and the rocks that it was on mm. on the ground 
um and that and the sense of like belonging and i feel like that that is that is the thing that came to mind when you asked me that question right. about my kind of like first memory of kinship you know you when i asked you who you were you said look i'm a facilitator and i'm a builder um i've also seen you explain yourself as a pathfinder mm-hmm. um what's the connection between finding a path and building something Mm, that is a great question. So the way that I think of the pathfinding that I do is that it's not it's not creating the path, right? It's revealing the path. Mm. It is that um, if I'm facilitating a group of people through a process, right? It is it is about kind of uncovering um, something that is fundamentally human about them that they have that they have lost their way or lost touch with. Right. Um, and kind of coming back to that so that they can um, be in a, like a deeper space of accountability and belonging and and, uh, you know, collectiveness with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about it for um, for us and like the future, right, like so much of or I think about the book, right, my book that yeah. I wrote. And that for me, right, the whole, the process of writing that book really was pathfinding. It was, Mm. um, that I had this longing and this, these questions about how, like what, what it is to be a person in the world and how we be people with each other. Um, especially coming from, you know, the States where we have such a deeply individualistic orientation toward like how you are a person, and that didn't, you know, that just didn't, wasn't, it doesn't work for us. It's not, it's not who humans fundamentally are. We are fundamentally right. social animals. Um, we are tremendously interdependent mm-hmm. and there is this way in which we have lost our connection to that. So writing the book for me, which was, or the process of, of writing it, which was really, you know, dozens of conversations that I had with people who I felt had some um, insight into or answers for me around how we be in more connection with each other and more in mm. deeper relationship with each other. Um, so, so that process was really about like, yeah, like leading myself, right? Like finding a path for myself toward that deeper connection. And I am, thank goodness I did that before the pandemic <laughs> because right. I, I think that the pandemic then kind of, you know, for many people, it has been a tremendously isolating um, yes. experience. And then I think there's there are some of us for whom it has actually brought us in deeper relationship with the people who are important to us. And I, I am thankfully like very much on that side of things. Um, and I think in terms of the difference between pathfinding and building, I mean, maybe building is not the, the, the thing that I would say that I do. I mean, I built that. It's not that I don't build things. I think that I do that, but I think some of maybe it's more about like creating, um, processes, right? Mm -hmm. Like that in order to, in order to, to find the path that has been overgrown, right? Like you have to have some way of doing that. You have to have your machete Mm -hmm. or you have to have your, you know, but you have to have your compass, right. To like, you know, like all of those things. So I think it's about like assembling the tools and then creating some process Mm. for the thing to happen. Um, you know, and it's not, it is not about finding paths that already exist and you're kind of going back to some like abandoned place, right. It's not about like finding old ruins or a ghost town. It really is, um, finding our way back to ourselves so that we can, 
and the thing we're building, right, is like the world we want to live in in the future. And that's not about going back, you know, 100 years or 200 years. It really is about moving forward in the context that we have, but but reconnecting to some of those things that we've um, become disconnected from that are in our past, but that are yeah. really, again, like they're in ourselves. Yes. You mentioned longing and I'm, and you mentioned it in your book as well. Um, what we're longing for, mm-hmm. how do, how does one, how do I connect to what I'm longing for? Mm. That's a great question. I mean, I don't think there's one way to do that. So I'll tell you what I think works for me. Yeah. Um, it is about creating, um, enough presence, you know, in my day for me to notice myself, Mm. right. To actually feel what I'm feeling and not be thinking about like, what is it (laughs) that I have to do after I do this one thing that I'm doing? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it is about finding some spaciousness. Um, and sometimes that is, you know, definitely that is sometimes moments by myself where I'm like sitting in the sun or, meditating or whatever. Um, but sometimes it is actually when I'm with, you know, my kids or somebody who I love and we're like in connection, right. But we're, I'm like in the moment with them. So we're laughing or we're talking or eating or cooking or whatever. Um, but it is still the noticing, right. It's the noticing in those moments, um, what some part of us is trying to tell us some, something that's trying to like speak itself into, um, our awareness. And then I think there's a, there's a way in which we have to like longing can be uncomfortable. Right. Um, so there's a way in which we have to, um, also not be, uh, avoidant of the thing that is uncomfortable or turn away from it when it starts to kind of come up for us. So when I notice that I'm feeling, um, that longing to just like, not turn away from it and just sit with it. Mm. Um, you know, I had this, uh, I took a poetry writing class, um, and it was, it was a poetry writing class that was, um, about love poems, but not about romantic love. Okay. And I wrote this poem, um, about, uh, one of my best friends and the moment that I was, that I kind of came up in my memory was this, he and I had left, some theater performance and we were holding hands and like running across the street to, I don't know where we were going. And I, and I, as I remembered this moment, I had this like very um, visceral memory of this longing um, that I had to, for him to have, have been somebody who I grew up with so that he would know me in a different way. Right. So we, we met like three years ago. Um, and we're very, there are all these ways in which we're very similar. Um, and he feels, and he's definitely family. Like we became family with each other very quickly. Um, but you know, we met when we were in our mid forties. So there's this whole, you know, part of my life that I can tell him about, but that he hasn't seen me through. And there's a way in which I had this longing for him to know me the way that someone who, Mm -hmm. you know, had known me all my life would know me. Um, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, there's no, 
there's obviously nothing to do about it because I haven't figured out time travel yet. There's, it's not it's about a money, if you, it's a money maker if you can figure out time travel. <laughs> totally. By the way, I mean you're like, <laughs> or I mean there might be money making, but I feel like that's also disastrous, right? Like, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and it's you. also not about um, a flaw in our relationship at all. It's not right. that like the thing that I'm longing for, like the thing I was longing for is not something I can have. But I think right. in noticing that, it helped me understand um, my relationship with him more deeply. Mm. It helped me understand um, the, the um, enthusiasm with which we both made a commitment to be be each other's family and yes. and the longevity we're anticipating for that because you know we didn't know each other for the first half of our lives but like we're very committed to making sure that we know each other for the the rest of our lives that's beautiful Mia, what book have you chosen to read for us so i'm going to read from um braiding sweet grass I'm picking it up right now. Sorry for the rustling. Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants by Robin Wall Kimmerer. This has been an incredible success and slightly surprising in my mind that a book like this has somehow found its way. Um, how did it find its way to you? Well, I think that it's been such a success because I think it speaks to a longing right. that we have, right, for... Mm. Um, being able to, to marry these um, two things that I think in Western culture seem like binaries, right? Like right. science and then like, you know, indigenous knowledge, right? That those yeah. are like two different things and they're not. Um, you know, I think it was like in the zeitgeist of my community. I don't know um, how I found it. Um, yes. I just feel like there was a period where like everyone I knew was reading it. <laughs> exactly. And I will say... Um, I have not finished it because it is a book that I, I like read a chapter and then mm. I just like hold that. And I, um, I feel like there it's so rich with, um, information, like fascinating, like mm. science, um, and wisdom and teaching, right. That I have felt like I can only take in, um, so much at a time. Um, so I like read a chapter whenever I'm kind of called back to it. Right. I love that. What, uh, how did you choose the pages to read for us? Um, so they're among the ones that I've read. <laughs> That's my <laughs> first enough. criteria. <laughs> um, so it's, I'm just going to, I'll set it up a little bit. Um, yeah. She's writing about this ritual that um, her father did as she was growing up where he would um, make coffee and he would, be outside with the coffee pot. And before he would pour his own cup, he would pour out some onto the ground. Um, uh, she says like, she said, the stream runs down over the smooth granite to merge with the lake water as clear and brown as the coffee. I watched it trickle, picking up bits of pale lichen and soaking into tiny, tiny clumps of moss as it flows at the crack to the water's edge. And what her father um, says is, um, Here's to the gods of Tahawas when he when he pours this. Mm. Um, so she's it's 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 uh, some of the the um, pages kind of like about that ritual. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to sit with you and hear you read this. So All over right. to you, Mia. A people's story moves along like a canoe caught in the current being carried closer and closer to where we had begun. 
As I grew up, my family found again the tribal connection that had been frayed but never broken by history. We found the people who knew our true names. And when I first heard in Oklahoma the sending of thanks to the Four Directions at the Sunrise Lodge, the offering in the old language of the sacred tobacco, I heard it as if in my father's voice. The language was different, but the heart was the same. Ours was a solitary ceremony, but fed from the same bond with the land, founded on respect and gratitude. Now the circle drawn around us is bigger, encompassing a whole people to which we again belong. But still the offering says, here we are. And still I hear at the end of the words, the land murmuring to itself, oh, here are the ones who know how to say thank you. Today my father can speak his prayer in our language, but it was, here's to the gods of Tahawas that came first, in the voice that I will always hear. It was in the presence of ancient ceremonies that I understood that our coffee offering was not secondhand, it was ours. Much of who I am and what I do is wrapped up in my father's offering by the lakeshore. Each day still begins with a version of, here's to the gods of Tahawas, a thanksgiving for the day. My work as an ecologist, a writer, a mother, as a traveler between scientific and traditional ways of knowing grows from the power of those words. It reminds me of who we are. It reminds me of our gifts and our responsibility to those gifts. Ceremony is a vehicle for belonging to a family, to a people, and to the land. At last, I thought that I understood the offering to the gods of Tahawas. It was, for me, the one thing that was not forgotten, that could not be taken by history. The knowing that we belonged to the land, that we were the people who knew how to say thank you. It welled up from a deep blood memory that the land, the lakes, and the spirit had held for us. But years later, with my own answer already in place, I asked my father, where did the ceremony come from? Did you learn it from your father and he from his? Did it stretch all the way back to the time of the canoes? He thought for a long time, no, I don't think so. It's just what we did. It seemed right. That was all. Some weeks went by though, and when we spoke again, he said, I've been thinking about the coffee and how we started giving it to the ground. You know, it was boiled coffee. There's no filter. And if it boils too hard, the grounds foam up and get stuck in the spout. So the first cup you pour, you would get that plug of grounds and be spoiled. I think we first did it to clear the spout. It was as if he told me that the water didn't change to wine. The whole web of gratitude, the whole story of remembrance, was nothing more than the dumping of the grounds? But you know, he said, there weren't always grounds to clear. It started out that way, but it became something else. A thought. It was a kind of respect. A kind of thanks. On a beautiful summer morning, I suppose you could call it joy. That, I think, is the power of ceremony. It marries the mundane to the sacred. The water turns to wine, the coffee to a prayer. The material and the spiritual mingle like grounds mingled with hummus, transformed like steam rising from a mug into the morning mist. What else can you offer the earth which has everything? What else can you give but something of yourself? A homemade ceremony, a ceremony that makes a home. Thank you. Um, 
Where's the joy in that for you? Oh God. I mean, it is, it is the, like, it's the small joy, right. That Mm. is, um, the present moment of, of, you know, her father specifically says like on a warm summer day. So you can see like, like, again, like right now I'm looking out at, at, uh, my, this land that I'm sitting on and the tulips are blooming and the, and the sour grass is blooming. Mm. And I think about the moment I took this morning, um, to just stand out there with the sun on my face. Right. And be in, in gratitude and in noticing of the space that I was in and like that kind of joy, um, which is a kind of just like, you know, aliveness, um, (laughs) is both like totally profound and completely mundane. And I love that. I love that. And that's kind of the braiding of this book, the profound and the mundane. Exactly. Yeah. There was a phrase that struck a chord for me, which is like understanding our gifts and our responsibilities to our Mm. gifts. Yes. What does responsibility to our gifts mean to you? So I think, um, it is about, um, claiming them, right. Mm. So not, uh, denying that they exist or somehow diminishing them. Um, and, you know, kind of talking about them as if they are not like a big deal, right. That they're not special in some way. Yeah. I think there's that piece. And then I think there is the piece that's about figuring out what you're supposed to do with them. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, like that you, like that there is some responsibility to, uh, use the gift, um, in the way that it seems like it was supposed to be used. And then, you know, and the, like, that's the reason that you have it. Right. Um, I think I'm someone who it took me a while to figure out what my gifts were. Um, I think I was looking for something that was like a task or a like job, right? <laughs> right. That I'm good at, you know, science or <laughs> right. writing or like something like that. And I think that, uh, you know, what I was kind of slowly figured out was um, that my gift really is about, is about connecting and and bridge building, mm. um, or maybe it's actually bridge revealing, right? That if, if, right. if the, if the, if a bridge metaphor, kind of yeah. path, right. That the, <laughs> right, that right. the bridge is there. Um, yeah. um, it is, um, I think one of my gifts is seeing people, right. Being yeah. able to like connect to pretty much anyone. Um, yeah. even if I, it doesn't appear that, uh, like, you know, we would have anything to connect around. Um, this friend who I was talking to about, like he and I are in many ways, I think on, you know, at first glance, very, very different people. Um, so, you know, and I, I remember when, when we met, we met at a dinner and we sat across from each other and there was nothing in his (laughs) like bio Mm -hmm. that suggested that he would be interesting at all. Um, but there was something that I was immediately just drawn to and he didn't really say much of anything. It was just like, it just what was what happened. <laughs> um, and I had decided, and I was like, the next time we met, I had already decided that, you know, he and I <laughs> kidding, were yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I behaved like accordingly and he <laughs> just, <laughs> he accepted that. So, um, yeah. And I think that, that, that 
you know, so much of the work that I do is, um, is a kind of research that is, you know, talking to people about their stories. And, um, I mean, I love, I love asking people questions about themselves and listening to their stories. And, and I think that is, it is a, you know, we don't, we don't get very, very many opportunities in our lives to actually sit and tell a story and have somebody listen to the whole thing. How did the, how did your sense of your gifts emerge? I mean, not, not obvious from the start, you kind of, it took some time and you found them, but I'm wondering Hmm. what was, what was the, what was the uncovering of those? I think it was over time, right? It was, it was that I, it was that these, you know, so I think part of my gifts are these things that, that have, um, either been places where I, that I kept returning to these things I kept returning to. Um, and in some cases were things that I didn't, that didn't feel like gifts. They felt like, Mm. um, you know, so for example, um, my mom is a white woman from Georgia and my dad was a black man from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have like, I'm, you know, in America, I'm like, biracial, but I'm also bicultural. You know, my dad was an immigrant. Um, so I'm first generation on his side. Um, so there are all these ways in which I felt, uh, you know, divided, Mm, (laughs) um, maybe braided. Yes. But I didn't feel no, but that, but braiding is like integrated. Right. So I felt, I felt very like, Oh, I exist in these like multiple places. Um, when I was in, you know, when I was in high school, I was both, uh, you know, I was a cheerleader. I was captain of the cheerleaders. I was also, um, you know, in theater stuff. And I spent my weekends with like nerdy white boys watching Alfred Hitchcock movies and playing cards. So again, like these worlds that didn't Mm. really interact and I was in all of them. And I think I, I had the story that, that, um, I, could never find a place where I totally belonged because I could Mm. only be part of myself in all of those places. And I think as I've, as I've grown up and I'm like, Oh, I actually belong in all those places and I can be my whole self anywhere. Um, and the people who connect to a particular part of me will still be able to like, you know, they'll be able to handle the rest of me. Like, it's not Mm. like, you know, the, the part of me that likes to watch Alfred Hitchcock movies, like the cheerleaders are not going to be like, Oh my God, like what's wrong with you? (laughs) They're going to be like, Oh, that's interesting because people are more, are deeper than that. Right. Um, so I think at some point that I felt more integrated and I, and, and there was a kind of liberation that came with realizing that I actually can belong everywhere that I am. Mm. And there is a, there is a kind of, it's not just a kind of liberation, but I feel like there's a kind of rebellion in that. Um, because certainly growing up in America as, um, a black woman, um, that is not the kind of narrative that I hear that I belong everywhere. And to be able to, to push back against that and claim that, and, and not just as a, like, I'm not in a like colonial, like I'm staking, I'm putting my stake in the ground in this place, whether or not you want me, but Mm. more that my ability to connect with people allowed me to create space of belonging for myself, wherever I am. I'm wondering to to uh, kind of nod to the story of pouring the coffee and clearing the plug of grounds. Mm-hmm. Was there a process where you needed to clear something to make this work more obvious, more easier for you? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, it was, uh, clearing away like old stories I had about Mm. who I was or what was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, so much of, of, uh, certainly my, my kind of like life experience, but also the work that I do with folks is about, um, supporting them and like putting down old stories and figuring out what are the, what are the new stories that they actually want to tell, right? Like what are the new stories about, um, who they want to be themselves or who they want to be together. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes it's actually like, what is the actual story? Because, because we have some old story that we've just been holding on to and that, the that the holding on of that story hasn't allowed us to see the story that actually is being told. Mm. Um, I think that that's the thing that I've had to clear. Yeah. I think though that, that like, you know, so much about that, um, what resonated with me about that passage is about, um, how that process, right. Helps us helps is grounding, right. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it allows us to make, to, to place ourselves Mm -hmm. in a larger context and in doing so kind of, well, we're, we're doing it with like some humility, right. And some appreciation and that, that, um, helps us make place, right. It helps yeah. us make place among the people we're with or the land that we're with. And that, that actually is, you know, in some ways, like literally grounding. Um, yeah. and I think that that's part of what, you know, when we have things to clear, it is about like getting rid of the stuff that is in our way or that is blocking our view or undermining our gifts so that we can mm. get grounded, um, and be like where we are. I'm curious around what it takes to tell a new story. And also how do you find a way of creating a new story that is about you, but is also about your place and your Mm. context? Because actually when you tell you what's your new story, where I go is into an individualistic answer. Here I am. Let let me be the hero of this new narrative. And I do think part of what you're speaking to is to say, you know, you're both the center of your story and you're also part of a woven cloth of other stories and other context and other place. What do you think is the essence of a new story? Well, the thing that comes to mind is... uh that um so okay so so some of the work that i do is around like narrative and culture change Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i hear um people who are marginalized say and i'll and i'll speak specifically to black folks is um things like you know we're not meant to survive here um and you know kind of like talking about like the American context, right? Like there's this, and, and, the, and it's said with a kind of, um, pride, right? Like we're mm. still here and, and we were not meant to survive here. And I think there, and, and for me, like I hear that and I'm like, well, according to whom, right? Whose, whose determination are we centering when we say that? 
Um, so in, in my mind, like part of the shift there is that, that I'm not, I'm centering, like, you know, I'm like, I, I absolutely like we're, I'm meant to survive on the planet, right? <laughs> right. The earth does not, is not racist, right? Mm-hmm. The earth is not, um, trying to oppress and, um, diminish black people. So I think there is this way in which I'm like, sure, like absolutely in the context of the United States, there are all these systems and structures, um, that are harmful to us. Mm but I absolutely am meant to survive because I think Mm -hmm. it does something to a people to have a story that you're not meant to survive. Right. right? Like, like, or the, and that you, and that you don't belong someplace. Right. Um, and so, so I'm like, okay, how can we reframe that? Like, who is it that we're, that we're, that we're, whose, whose idea of belonging and survival are we centering and where else can, how can we shift that center? How can we shift that, um, focus? Right. to something that says absolutely we are meant to survive and absolutely yeah. we belong here because, and the, the thing that is telling us that is the thing we're, we're trying to like make obsolete and irrelevant. I think it requires, and you asked me what it requires to do that. I'm getting, <laughs> I think it requires a kind of, um, I mean, you know, to some extent it requires just like an examination of the, the things that we think of as truth. Right. Yes. Um, and that requires like critical thinking. And, um, I think, you know, being in conversation with those about those things with other people who are interested in, in kind of that examination and that kind of thinking. Um, and then fundamentally, I think it means that, that we have to like come to like a deep place of loving ourselves. Mm. Um, because in order for me to believe, right, that, to see that I actually belong. Like I have to deeply love, and I don't mean myself personally. I mean, like I love black people, right? Right. Like I, and I'm part of that for sure. Um, but that is like a collective kind of love. Like I love, um, I love so many things about us, including the ways in which we have survived in the Mm. face of, um, of systems and forces that have tried to end us, um, Mm. and diminish us. Um, but like that kind of love also sees beyond the thing that has been limiting us for hundreds of years. It really, I mean, it sees, it sees not just, you know, potentially like, you know, kind of who we were before. Right. But more than that, for me, it is about like who I feel like we are like, like what I want for us in the future. Right. What I want for us in terms of like how we think about place and um, ourselves and just like, and what what's possible for us and what is for us yeah this has been such a rich conversation so thank you um as a final question um what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation Hmm. the other thing that i think is um this the passage that i read the other kind of invitation i see in it is this Um, you know, she talks about this kind of marrying of the mundane and the sacred. Mm -hmm. And, and I love that in part because it kind of, it strips away the kind of accessory and um, frill, right, from ceremony and reminds us that, that things like weddings and graduations and birth, like these things that like, you know, have a lot of, of, of stuff, (laughs) around yeah, pizzazz, them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are, are, are like fundamentally like 
very simple, right? Mm-hmm. They're meant to um, connect. Cross a threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're like, it's a milestone. It's connecting our individual selves with the collective and our collective kind of to all that is. And, and like, to be clear, like I love an ornate ritual. Like I celebrate (laughs) my birthday for like a week. Um, I want cake. I want like all the things. Right. Um, But just that like under all of those is something very um, simple that is being acknowledged. And Mm. I think that that, um, just recognizing that puts things in a, into perspective. And I think takes some of the pressure off of like how we can um, find these moments of ritual in our lives, right? They don't have to be like, you know, so I have, I have this altar in the space that I'm in and I used to feel like, okay, I want to like do something at my altar every day. And I used to think it had to be this like whole thing where I like, you know, light the candles and I do some kind of like room clearing thing and I pull tarot cards and I do my prayers to my ancestors and then I do my prayers to my descendants and then I do my prayers to the the, the Orisha and the gods and the universe and I give th- and like it was a whole thing and and I was like I can't do that every morning like I don't have time for that and and then at some point I was like oh like the, you know I don't need to do all that. Like I'll really just, it just, it can be like one thing and it can be Mm. really, really simple and it still holds. Um, it still does, it still serves a purpose, right. Mm. That I, that I need it to serve. And, you know, sometimes I can do a whole ornate thing if I'm feeling moved to do that, but that I can make it, um, this very simple thing allows me to do it, you know, more regularly so that I can have it be part of my, um, daily life. And I think that that piece, the, the pause that, um, a simple ritual like that requires um, is very small, but it just like brings us to, you know, our now. Um, and I think that that's, that's, you know, it is, it is profound in its, in its, uh, in its ability to do that. There's so much good to braid together here. First, the phrase from the reading that Mia and I talked about to have responsibility to our own gifts. For me, that's a nudge to say, stop playing small. When we think our gifts are a thing just for us, it's easy enough to be a little dismissive about them, to underplay them. They're just X, they're just for Y, I'm just this person. But when you think of your gifts as of being of service to the world, your family, your community, your team, your organization, then I think it's harder to undercommit to them. We need you, I guess I need you, to take responsibility for your gifts, responsibilities for your freedom. And to that piece, that part of the conversation, I want to weave in this idea of, also from the reading, the mundane and the sacred. Remember the, the grounds of coffee that Mia read about? I think our gifts are these grounds of coffee. They're both everyday, and they're also something extraordinary. You dismiss the magic of who you are when you underplay your gifts. You underplay the best of who you might be. If you enjoyed this conversation with Mia, and it was such a pleasure to talk to her, I've got two other interviews that I might suggest for you. Tope Folaren, um, our conversation was about living in two worlds. Um, he's a, a, a guy I'd met through the Rhodes Scholarship Connection, but he's a poet and also the executive director of a foundation 
and I love the way he plays that, not just in the work he does, but also he is biracial and what it means to be a man of color living and working in America. And then the second interview I thought might be interesting is Jordan Dinwiddle. Um, she is an amazing young woman um, in the advertising space. That interview is called How to Be 100% Yourself. She's the first person who read from a graphic novel for two pages, which was so disconcerting a little bit, but also so cool. Um, and you might enjoy that conversation as well. For about, more about Mia, you, her website is miabirdsong.com. M-I-A birdsong.com. Mia Birdsong. Um, thank you for listening. You're awesome. You're doing great. I really appreciate your time and your presence on this podcast with me. Um, if you have a chance to give it a blurb, a rating, fantastic. If you have a chance to recommend this interview to somebody who you think would like to hear it, I appreciate that as well. Um, and if you want a little more, there is a little membership site where you can get access, um, additional resources. It's called the Do Comfries Library. And you'll find it on the mbs.works website when you click through on the podcast. You're awesome. You're doing great.